0: Hello, everyone. This is Adam Meister, the Bitcoin Meister, the Disrupt Meister. Welcome to This Week in Bitcoin. Today is October the 16th. 2020. 37 years ago, the Orioles won the World Series. Oh, strong hand, long-term thinking. And they will again. Patience, conviction. Bitcoin is the next Bitcoin. Don't FOMO on alts. Yes, JW was supposed to be on the show, but he had tech difficulties. We have conviction. We have the best guest in the.
1: You today, yeah, you've uh, seen his great comments in the chat
0: section before, now he's here. You leave great chats, I put you on the show, okay? So let's let's start this baby off, because last night, you know, I was, I was on, who knows what I was doing, watching some informative video, and I noticed, oh man, the, the Bitcoin price, it, it happened to drop. Something freaky must be going on, and sure enough, what is this over in Asia? We have this uh exchange, OKX, and of course, I've heard of it before, but I've never used it before because I've got a strong hand. A founder of the OKX cryptocurrency exchange is being held by police, according to Chinese news source Cakesin. The news comes soon after CoinDesk reported earlier on Friday that OKX has suspended cryptocurrency withdrawals. Now, nobody likes that. Citing the absence of an unnamed holder of the exchange's private keys. As the OKX news broke Friday, cryptocurrency prices took a dive with Bitcoin dropping around 3% in a half hour. So we've got some shady exchange over in uh, Asia that's got some shady dude that might've done something shady. And uh, so the shady exchange doesn't let people to take uh, Bitcoin off the exchange anymore. And then the Bitcoin price drops by 3%, even though it's, you know, nothing happened to Bitcoin, just another exchange. And then we've got shady Chinese news also, because you never know what's true coming out of China. What, are they going to show people at the exchange just falling down all of a sudden now because they uh, they caught the OKX virus or something? Okay. So, Brian, what what's going on here? What, what What's your take on
2: this noise? Well, yeah, pretty wild, wild way to enter the weekend. Um I think mean, that article from I think it was CoinDesk said basically that, yeah, the issue was that a primary key holder was, uh, I guess, unresponsive, not able to be found. But they said, oh, it wasn't that person. This just happens to be a massive coincidence, apparently, that uh, this guy gets picked up by police and they also simultaneously lose a primary key holder. Um, but they're, they're unrelated. So I don't know what to think about about that story. Um, the one thing I took away from it, I mean, and also by the way, I hope that person, that individual, is 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 okay and you know safe and everything, because uh, you never know what's going on over there. But the one thing I took away from this, from a Bitcoin perspective, is you know I'm looking at our headlines, and articles about you know quote unquote Bitcoin plunging on news of the exchange uh, founder you know being you know lost somewhere essentially, and the plunge quote unquote as it was was three percent, and you know it bounces right back and. Uh, to me, that shows sort of uh, maturity in the market that we probably didn't see back in twenty sixteen, twenty seventeen. You know, right after the last halving, um, and you know, I took that you know with a grain of salt. But again, the the news itself is is bizarre, and who who knows what to think? Hopefully, the guy's okay. Um, but uh, you know, Bitcoin, you know, marches on.
0: Yeah, B- Bitcoin shouldn't care. Uh, they, there's been uh, loan money laundering. Uh accusations in this story also you've got you've got it all in this story and the funny thing is like we've been through this before like 10 times like something shady happens in china something at ad- an exchange laundering money and then it's it still we <laughs> we have people who worry and, and who say it's it's actually it, it's something to do with bitcoin so it, it's nothing to do with bitcoin it's you know there's the shady things happen all right yeah. alessandro w- w- what's your take on this story
1: well, so it kind of reminds me to the whole deal with uh, what happened with quadrigasi x in canada right and and we've seen this and you and you you said it right we've seen this already in the industry i mean uh it's in, it's interesting because you know i come from this side of the woods where uh mostly volume is peer-to-peer and it, it's and it's not centralized at, inside big exchanges and whatever Although OKX does have some pretty interesting operations inside LATAM, specifically within Brazil. Because uh, you do see, w- when you look at local Bitcoins, you will see that Brazil uh, does not have a, a huge volume, like uh, when you compare it to Venezuela or Colombia or Russia, for example. But all of, that, all of the big volumes inside Brazil are coming from OTC desks, in binance and okx and otc desks from hong kong so i mean let, let's let think about this like we've already seen this but before like even in even in 2014 right when 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 it was hacked uh, uh the exchange that had the most the most amount of bitcoin in the in the globe bitcoin's price crashed like 80 percent, right so and now we're only seeing a drop like by three percent so I mean, uh, I agree with you, It's it's uh, it seems like a shady dude in the end, look, okay, X, I mean, it's a registered company in Malta, <laughs> operating in, inside Hong Kong. Those are parts of the world that lots of shady things happen. But um, I, I, ju- I just guess that we'll, we'll have to see, but in the end, we need better security measures, more transparency from these companies, I advise lots of people inside Venezuela, like, don't do Binance, please, don't, don't go to Binance. You'll eventually get burned. And I think it's the same with OKX. I mean, when when things, uh, when shady things are happening inside financial institutions, eventually the regulators come in, they crack down on some operations. They, they charge them with obscene fees. They get some money for their campaign and the government. <laughs> and then eventually it just, I don't know, it settles down. They change the board and they reinvent a little part of, of uh, the institution's image. Am I right or not? Yeah, it's
0: uh, the, the same old story. The, the, ball, the ball keeps on rolling there. You know, uh, everybody that's watching this live, retweet this. I'm putting it in the chat right now and pound that like button. And if you're watching this not live tape, do the same. You can do the same. That's, the, that's how you support the show. Now, Alessandro, you, uh, you said something very interesting. You brought up Brazil. And because I have the best guest in the freaking space, I didn't plan to talk about Brazil, but I'm intrigued by Brazil. Such a tremendous population. Uh, there's a lot of potential there for Bitcoin. What's the latest on uh, what the,
1: you know about Bitcoin in Brazil? Anything you want to share? So uh, regarding the latest things I know about Brazil, this week specifically, and last week, I have not been so much in touch with it, only with my girlfriend who lives there. <laughs> oh, but, <yeah. laughs> but I can tell you that I'm very bullish on Brazil, and it's, it's not only regarding like digital assets, it's uh hyper-financialization of their economy, because you know they've been supportive of the open banking regulations for the past two to three years, And so that gave birth to over 400 FinTechs in Brazil. Whereas a couple of years ago, five to eight years ago, the whole banking and finance sector in Brazil, 84 80 to 87% of it was controlled by only four banks, the four biggest banks in Brazil. And so I'm very bullish on it because uh, when you start evaluating fintech companies from LATAM specifically, they all try to become this sort of multi-currency platforms, right? Like you hop on with dollars and then you can hop, out, hop, hop, hop outside of, of their platform with euros or a local currency within LATAM, for example. And so uh, I'll give you an excellent example. You have Value in Colombia. Value in Colombia is one of uh, the most known fintechs that provides remittances services from Colombian pesos all the way to uh, Bolivares inside uh, Venezuelan bank accounts. So they transact like they have a volume from around a million dollars to $2 million. And all of that volume is processed through local Bitcoins, man. But if you go on their website, uh, this FinTech's website, you won't see the word Bitcoin anywhere, man. Cause it's being used as a back office tool. and. Lots of people in developed economies don't know about this, but you—you have the news, man. <laughs> I Dude, th- this—I I can continue. Sorry, it's awesome that you could just on the spot. We didn't
0: plan to talk about Brazil at all, but on the spot, but we're, you could just—you could just wrap this out. This is awesome, man. But what were you about to
1: say? Sorry, like the same pattern will emerge in Brazil, and we are seeing it already. Like there are—I read like another quote. I think that it was three weeks ago. That, uh, like in uh. Uh, volume uh, Bitcoin volume in say Brazil for that week was or for that month month was over 100,000 bitcoins, which is a heck of a lot of bitcoins. And so I just think that will continue building. It uh, I, I mean the Brazilian market will continue building on top of Bitcoin digital assets. And you and we also have the great news that the central uh, Brazilian central bank will introduce its own digital currency. And draft uh, cryptocurrency regulations within Brazil as well. So they will they will terminate this grayish area that's inside the Brazilian market, and hopefully it will be very positive for Bitcoin overall. I'm, I'm just sure impressed.
0: It will. That, I'm impressed that there are that many uh, fintech companies all of a sudden. It's like a decentralization of uh, financial power all of a sudden in, in, in Brazil. That that sounds like uh, something is very positive.
1: I mean, dude, 230 million people and an economy that was only controlled by four banks. Come on. <laughs> yeah. So I, I do one final South America. Question.
0: We'll talk about Venezuela later because, I mean, I got a guy on the ground in Venezuela. We got to talk about it. But of all the countries in South America, which one uh, it, it takes the lead? Does one kind of inspire the other ones? Uh, is one setting the pace? Is it Brazil?
1: dude it's venezuela man it's uh, fucking, it's fucking Bitcoin swell, man like if you read matt alberg's articles on usefultulips.org you will notice like venezuela is working as uh the harbor for bitcoin volume within latam and 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 not only bitcoin itself but impressively and i can say this from experience the bolivar man it's like although the Bolivar was destroyed our local currency and we are still the only hyperinflationary economy in the world right now it is being used as a like it's it's a utility man it's a tool that traders and uh, people that do arbitrage inside venezuela use it against bitcoin and so you have no idea of how many informal OTCs uh, we have inside Venezuela. I know at least 20 of them. And some of them move, and, and we're talking about one of the most depressed economies in the world. Some of them move over a million dollars a week wh- while you have people that are living hand-to-mouth on the streets in Venezuela. <sighs> That's awesome on a, on, a, uh, like, on a perspective, on the other one, not so much. But yeah, I mean, Venezuela will continue being the harbor for Bitcoin volume inside Latam to Colombia, to Brazil, to Peru, to Chile. I have people, I know people that have Western Union franchises, franchises, franchises and they started also using Bitcoin as a back office tool, using Paxful, using local Bitcoins. Using informal Chinese OTC Telegram groups that are within Latam, informal Russian OTC Telegram groups that are within Latam. <laughs> it, it, it's amazing. It's amazing. It's
0: amazing that uh, uh, Venezuela leads the way over a country that is financially sophisticated as Chile. I mean, uh, it, it's 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 unbelievable. Well, now that we're talking about Venezuela, Brian, do you do you have any questions for Alessandro about uh, Venezuela? We'll, we'll just get into the Venezuela talk right now. You there, Brian? Oh, I don't know what happened to Brian. It it looks like he's there. All right, Brian. Uh, I don't know what. Uh, okay, uh, Alessandro, tell us what is uh what is up in uh in Venezuela. The big big Venezuelan stories that you want to share.
1: So. Uh, today, Maduro passed a law, a regulation, which basically allows him to create any uh, new financial, financial product, financial service, or financial infrastructure that is built on top of cryptocurrencies, uh, basically to as a as a defense tool against U.S. sanctions and U.S. Uh, crackdown measures on on the regime's operations. And sanctions have hurt a lot of the Venezuelan economy, to be honest. Uh, I, I don't know if they actually will help to like uh, make Maduro leave the leave the government or like crack down the regime overall. But that was that's an interesting news regarding today specifically. And then last week, almost two weeks ago, the the government well actually Sunakry which is the cryptocurrency regulator from Venezuela, Sunacryp introduced a new stock market that is based on Ethereum. So basically over...
2: I think I'm back, guys.
0: Hey, hey, Brian's back. Good, good, good. Keep on going, Alessandro. That is Ethereum. Oh, man. I didn't know we were going to talk about that today. Yes, continue. So,
1: So basically over the next couple of years, we will see the regulator in Venezuela introducing like security tokens built on top of Ethereum, uh, debt issued on top of Ethereum tokens, etc. And it'll be this new, you know, like parallel stock market to the, old, the, the traditional one that is already established in Venezuela uh, that will allow people to, and companies from Venezuela to also like, you know, go public and go public via the emission of tokens And so they they call it a decentralized stock market. I don't know how decentralized that will actually be. I had the opportunity to read like all of of the articles of incorporation and the procedural manuals uh, for how you will issue tokens on top of Ethereum using this new stock market. And I'm not so bullish on that, but it's more like a... slithering house move rather than hogwarts (laughs) all right all right now
0: i I, i've I've come up with a question here i want to tell everybody watching this pound that like button if you have questions my elite friends out there we have answers so type in bitcoin meister or do a super chat if you've got questions about venezuela brazil anything that we talk about the guests will be happy to answer them i can answer the questions now my question for you alessandro though is it, Venezuela leads the way. Okay. It continues to innovate because it's in a, a desperate situation. Let's just say there was a regime change all of a sudden and things got back to well, relatively close to capitalism. <laughs> Do you think the uh, people would drop cryptocurrency or would there be more innovation?
1: Not at all. I think that uh, there will be more innovation because, I mean, everything is controlled by the government right now. Right. So I, I think that uh uh, it it, it will lead to a way where we'll see more privatization right of industries which is necessary and bitcoin will just come along man i mean bitcoin is all the way in the middle like uh, every single every single direction that you want to take you you can't avoid bitcoin right and so we've built so much we we've gone down the road of bitcoin and we've created our own like governmental Bitcoin rabbit hole already <laughs> that there's no going back from that man it's the, the future the future is only building on top of that and frankly Bitcoin will be the best way to reconnect the Venezuelan economy with the global economy once again it won't be the Bolivar it won't be like getting the Bolivar on the Forex market on Wall Street it won't, it will not be that man. And, and that's why I'm betting with my company. Like the only, the only Bitcoin venture that has operations inside Venezuela that is offering custodian solutions to, you know, you know, this Adam banking entities and financial institutions inside Venezuela. I've talked to all, all of the regulators, all of them know me and yeah, man. I mean, it's just, it's just a different perspective, right? If
0: things change, and then the secret OTC desks, the hidden you said they're hidden ones, they'll go public. They'll, they'll be free to operate in the open, which would be great. So I, I, obviously, I, I hope the best for the uh, people of Venezuela that the government uh, overnight turns into a, a magical capitalist loving uh, a, a economy. Now, it went, went once it's still under state control, though, they came up with something called the Petro. Is that still around?
1: It is still around, and you can pay for subsidized gasoline at the gas station using petrol. Like, the oil barrel is around $40 in international markets, it, the, the, the West Access Intermediate, right? Uh, but here, like, at a gasoline station, a pedophilic gasoline station, which are all state-owned, they will they will receive those Petros from you at a rate of $60 per barrel of oil. So you're getting a better rate with respect to the international markets and you're also receiving subsidized gas. So basically they're, they, they are starting to incentivize the El Petro usage by subsidizing gasoline at certain gas stations within the country. Uh, do you think it has a future at
0: all?
2: No. <laughs> well, it sounds like it's a lot more of this, more of the same. Uh, you know, they're, they're sort of subsidizing on both ends right now That with the Petro. They've got the subsidy, the artificially low price of oil, you know, sponsored by the state um, already, regardless of what you pay with. And then they subsidize on the back end with the Petro. So it sounds like, you know, the state is just taking cryptocurrency and using it as a way to you know, use the exact same toolkit they've been using for the last 15 years or so.
0: Yeah, control the people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, through, through, through manipulation of a private uh, currency. Yeah, uh, well, a public a currency that they-, like, they I, I
1: know, I, I'm sorry, Adam. I know no, no, El no. Petro, I know El Petro OTC desks that move over a million dollars sometimes a day. So I can't comment much on that. I, th- I think you are aware of why. <laughs> yeah, yeah, obviously, but but yeah, it is a thing.
0: Yeah, uh, Brian, I'm glad you are back, Brian. Uh, do you have any questions for Alessandro?
2: Yeah, I was I was trying to make. I, I took my camera off too because I think my internet connection kind of popped out. But um, I love Bitcoin Suela. I love that name. I think that needs to be on a t-shirt hey, or something. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think the what you were saying about the back office action of of, of Bitcoin. In, in Venezuela and elsewhere in South America and Latin America um, is just, it just is a, a great way to demonstrate yet another use case for Bitcoin because these like having a singular international layer of settlement uh, is is an amazing thing, you know, and we haven't had it in a while and it's, it's a non-manipulatable uh, international layer of settlement. You can see it's like countries like Venezuela gravitating towards that and the people within Venezuela gravitating towards that, Ah, uh, because they don't have to deal with dollars if they don't want to. They don't have to deal with euros if they don't want to. And it just shows you it just watching the market sort of gravitate towards this is exactly what one would expect as Bitcoin continues to gain traction. So uh, kudos to to Venezuela and the people within Venezuela for for uh, finding that and and in, in using that use case.
0: Awesome. Uh, Ed alessandro, any any more Venezuelan thoughts you wanted to share before we move, uh, I guess back to North America here?
1: So I think it's, it's related to what Brian just said in the end, it's a, it's, it's this singular settlement layer Bitcoin, right? For the globe. And maybe some listeners don't like the fact like, okay, so people are using this inside Venezuela, people are using it inside LATAM as well, people in Asia. And then now we're seeing, now we're starting to see the institutional wave and also the governmental wave, the govern government getting into this. And so The next big thing will be central banks. I mean, uh, the Venezuelan central bank has been obscurely uh, for the past years, evaluating how they could like adopt their own custodian solutions and start like uh, migrating all of the international, uh, all of Venezuela's international reserves into cryptocurrencies for them to have like a, a, a new form of control of uh, the country's assets. And so I think it's, it's important to mention it because I don't know if, if the Venezuelan central bank will be the first central bank in the world to actually have, uh, Bitcoin reserves within their balance sheet. But I think it's shifting and tilting towards that. I mean, uh, I don't know for how many months or years the Maduro regime was, was, was fighting and dealing with, uh, the Queen of England to get back our gold and they they were re- recently allowed to do so and so now they're they're getting back 1.8 billion dollars in gold, which is all going to be repatriated inside Venezuela eventually and all of that will be traded for Bitcoin man you can count on that you can totally count on that uh, if that happens
0: though uh, it's going to prop up the regime I mean if they if they become the first country on earth to announce you know that our central bank has this much Bitcoin in its reserves I mean uh, that I mean it's a good it's a good move that that's what all countries should be doing um and it, it's just uh, the country has been backed into a corner where it's going to where it's going to do this so I mean uh, <laughs> if it actually comes to that could do you agree that that will prop up the regime but at, at the same time do you think Maybe the regime will become less socialist.
2: Yeah, I got a thought on this, Alessandro. Alessandro, excuse me. Yeah,
1: I mean, if this becomes a thing, which I think it actually needs to, uh, it would actually imply that we already have a more sound economy based on Bitcoin than based on any other like uh, central banking based economy, correct? Right? Like, it's like, the US goes around in the world, and it's like you are sanctioned. You can move dollars. You're fucked. And so that has to change. And if there's a way to change that, I think Bitcoin is the best and most peaceful way of doing it. Because in the end, if the regime starts buying Bitcoin, who are they hurting by doing that? I don't know who are they hurting. If they get propped up by that, I think that's in a way a positive thing, but because that's the way Bitcoin works, right? Bitcoin is Power for everyone and power for no one at the same time. So it it will it will sort of rebalance rebalance things globally. And so
2: yeah.
0: All right, Brian, what were your thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, I, I was. I'm in agreement with Alessandro here. You know, I think it, it, you know, if if Venezuela purchases this Bitcoin and then you know Bitcoin increases in value as a result, or or even just maintains its value. It not doesn't necessarily prop up the regime because it could actually, I mean, I think it could actually hasten the downfall of the regime because the United States and similarly situated countries and ideologically similar countries that are against this Maduro regime are going to be forced to m- take action uh, if the Bitcoin, you know, that, that the Venezuelan regime purchases m- makes them more sustainable. You, we've survived like the United States and, and, you know, European allies and things like that over the last 10, 15, 20, 25 years, have been using sanctions as this sort of indirect, but very real uh, war measure against countries. Uh, and it is effective, sure, but it also allows people to sort of, uh, you know, continue uh, as long as they can and 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 squeeze their population for everything they're worth while they try and survive these these uh, these sanctions, these monetary sanctions. And if, if Bitcoin takes that arrow out of the quiver for these countries, the, the United States and Europe and other countries are going to have to make the decision. You know, how much do we not like the Maduro regime? How much do we not like them in charge? Are we willing to physically go in and change the regime uh, instead of trying to do all these roundabout ways of, you know, hobbling them? And then, in which case, the regime just goes on and hobbles the people to to survive. So, yes, it you know it, it could provide them a lot more monetary benefit in the short term, but it also might force the hand of countries who want to do something about it.
0: Mm, yeah, that is a, that is an excellent point. But maybe with the threat of sanctions off the table and then the threat of war, uh, maybe then Maduro would say, well, uh, we're going to open up the economy now and let things be more free. I mean, it, it, it could for- force his hand that way. I don't want there to be a war. I, it's terrible. Uh, and Alessandro, I want to ask you something about Maduro. Uh, what is his health like? Is he a healthy guy? And does he have a backup? Uh, your your previous leader was was not very healthy. He dropped dead eventually. But uh, w- w- what's Maduro's health like?
1: Well, I I I don't know how the guy sleeps, knowing that <laughs> knowing knowing that he's sanctioned by the U.S. Treasury and et cetera. Right? Regarding his health, I mean they live like kings. Uh, mm. it's it's kind of related to. I don't know I would say the Arab world right where you have princes prince and and kings that rule that part that those economies and so it's the same thing here 10 guys uh run the whole economy literally and so Maduro doesn't only have bitcoin maduro has coffee maduro has cocoa beans maduro has And maduro has uranium maduro has gold maduro has petroleum maduro has petro maduro has Part of the Venezuelan banking and finance sector, so it has the control of the bolivar. Maduro controls the central, uh, the Venezuelan Central Bank. So Maduro controls everything. Maduro controls a part of Cuba, and so Maduro. <laughs> Maduro also controls cocaine. So yeah, it ha- sounds,
0: it sounds like the the setup they have in the Middle East in their oil co- countries. So you're an oil country, and you're kind of replicating what what they're doing over there. But it's, yeah, it's, uh, the
1: only thing that we didn't re- replicate was those. Huge buildings and skyscrapers. <laughs> yes, <Yeah. laughs> that and that—that's an important part. You know,
0: the United. Say what you will about the United Arab Emirates or whatever. Uh, they—they they, they definitely open up their economy. They have a free or relatively free economy. I mean, it's it no no comparison to you know the, the state control nastiness that you have uh, w- where you are. So you're you're saying though he's got like a politburo. If he if he had a heart attack all of a sudden there'd be just another guy just like him to take take his place. There's a, another sheik to take his
1: place. Oh, oh totally. Yeah. And I mean, uh, people need to be aware of the fact that Cuba also rules Venezuela. It's not only Venezuela. And Maduro is not not even Venezuela. He's Colombian. So we have a Colombian dude that is a Venezuelan president that is in touch constantly with Cuba. And uh, yeah, that's just how it is. you
0: know anything about Cuba and Bitcoin? I've heard different things. Uh, I, I've heard... There have been quick stories like on CoinDesk, but I thought maybe you had like some insight. If, if, do they really uh, have Bitcoin in
1: Cuba? Uh, actually, I, I don't know anything about uh, uh, <laughs> anything being related to Bitcoin uh, inside Cuba. Uh, but, I mean, if Venezuela is, again, the biggest peer-to-peer volume market sometimes globally, and we have lots of Cubans here, and the government is using cryptocurrencies, and so even the military in Venezuela is mining Bitcoin and is using cryptocurrencies. So and and they talk to Cubans and they work with Cubans. So of course, Bitcoin has been exposed as well to a small percentage of, of Cubans.
0: Mm. Well, I I'm I'm glad you have so so much insight uh, on on the Latin American uh, Bitcoin. Uh, ecosystem it's it's great uh before we we go back to north america here brian do you have any uh, uh, other questions for alessandro about this uh, topic i mean i think he's covering it pre- pretty well
2: you know yeah. we got very thorough, <laughs> thorough analysis there <laughs> right.
0: very good well alessandro we'll, well at the end of the show if you think of anything else uh, d- do bring it up but we're gonna we're gonna move to the and guys the, we look best freaking guests in the space we can change topics at, at, at any moment and just uh you know, we, we we didn't plan to talk this extensively about it. And, and there we go. You, you learned an incredible amount about what's going on in South America. I love oh. it. This is a u- unique beast show. We got unique beasts here, baby. Um, all right. So we, we talked about uh, Venezuela and other countries possibly buying it for Bitcoin for their treasury. Uh, but no, no country has announced it yet. But what we've had since MicroStrategy earlier in the, uh, well, earlier in September, is corporations announcing that uh, you, corporate buy-in, basically, of, of Bitcoin, okay? And we had Stone Ridge announced this week. And who the heck even knows who knew what, St- what Stone Ridge was even uh, was about before that? People are worshiping Michael Saylor now, um, yeah. and, and he's a smart guy, and he, he's got some really catchy sayings. So that some people say the corporate buy-in has flipped the Bitcoin sentiment. And I must say, once we started, I mean, I thought it was the biggest news of the year when when MicroStrategy uh, made that tremendous announcement, and it, it has set the tone—a very positive tone—and I, I I liked it a lot. So, we, well, uh, Brian, what what's your thoughts on the latest uh, corporate buy-ins? Uh, do do people worship a pedestal, Michael Saylor, too much? And yeah, the companies beat the countries. Are the countries next? So, Brian, take it away. Uh.
2: Yeah, yeah. So there's definitely a lot of Michael Saylor worship right now. I don't know if it's if it's too too bad, you know, given this just happened and and the way Saylor went in, uh, you know, full Bitcoin, only Bitcoin. You know, he, he offered his shareholders the opportunity to buy back their stock at a premium after he spent 250 million dollars buying Bitcoin and publicly announced it. So he said, "Hey, here's what I'm doing. This is my strategy." You know, do you want in or out? Essentially, and the shareholders, you know, I imagine some probably took uh, the premium on their stock. But that's that's the, that was the Dutch uh, auction buyback that they they talked about that they did kind of simultaneously with the Bitcoin buy, and then they took another hundred and whatever million and bought you know the remaining. So they got something like four hundred twenty-five million dollars in Bitcoin for their treasury and only Bitcoin, and you know that's that's significant. I, I you know I, I talk to people about this and um, you know there's a lot of ways. That other corporations might have went in, and said, "I want to put treasury. I want to. I want to put uh, Bitcoin on my, my my reserve balance sheet." Uh, and you know, they might have done like a you know a, gra- a grab bag of cryptocurrencies to just make the public look like, "Hey, listen, I'm being responsible. I know this is risky, but I'm spreading out that risk." Uh, and Saylor just went in and said, "You know, only Bitcoin." And that is a very powerful thing. You know, he put his money where his mouth is. Uh, he offered his shareholders an out. And probably anyone that took that out is probably upset now because their shareholder, their stock price has skyrocketed. Um, and he stuck with only Bitcoin after doing the appropriate due diligence uh, in a, in record time, essentially, because it sounds like he didn't even know really what this was in 2019. And by 20 uh, by the end of 2020 or mid 2020, he's he's buying 500 million dollars worth. It. So um, it's 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 very impressive to me. So it, it, you, know, it, you know, Bitcoin loves here uh, loves their heroes, uh, and you know, for better or for worse. So it, this guy gets. A, I think he gets a, a has deserved a victory lap because he put his, put his money where his mouth was, and I don't genuinely think that any other corporate buy could have gone better for Bitcoin, uh, with in, in, relative to other cryptocurrencies.
0: Uh, what what was your take on uh last week's news? Uh, that uh, what's it that the Square uh, got in on this?
2: Yeah, Square. Yes, again when MicroStrategy does it and Michael Saylor does it, you know, who knows who these, these companies or people are suddenly huge buy, big news. Great. When Square does it and puts in a little tiny portion, you know, 50 million, you know, nothing to shake a stick at, but for Square, it's a tiny portion of their balance sheet um, and Twitter. Uh, so, but, but they've got Jack Dorsey. They've got the, they've got the visibility that you know, MicroStrategy didn't have. So you've got these two, you know, really big events. I can't, I, I'm kind of shocked that the price hasn't, you know, Skyrocket again, but this goes back to the maturity of the Bitcoin market. We, it's a, it's a lot less, uh, given and prone to wild swings than it was probably previously, uh, because it's spread out more. More people have it. There are more holders. There are less speculators. Um, there still are plenty, uh, but there's less. And um, so, getting Jack Dorsey on board and and Square, I think is just, it's just, you know, fifty million is only the beginning. There's no way this guy that has only Bitcoin in his pro in his Twitter profile is, you know, his company is only buying 50 million. Like this is, might be a small, a small, uh, you know, he, he does, I think he, did, he said personally, he does 10,000 a week in Bitcoin, just personally, he might do 50,000, 50 million a month for all I know for his company.
0: Uh, by the way, I'm bringing up Jack Dorsey partially because we're going to bring him up later in the show because uh, he's made some mainstream news uh, that maybe we should uh, talk about. Mm-hmm. But all right, Alessandro, uh, what, what's your take on the uh, corporate buy-ins?
1: So I guess that's that's the new wave that we are seeing in Bitcoin, and that we've been waiting for a long time, right? Especially early adopters like the institutional wave getting uh, getting on top of Bitcoin, and and this has already happened. I mean, like well, we're talking about Jack Dorsey only buying fifty million of Bitcoin, uh, but you know, in two thousand and eleven, Chamath Palihapitiya with Wences Casales and Mickey Malka. They invested like over a billion dollars in this thing, and now they're Bitcoin billionaires. And I think it's highly important that those kind of guys are one of the biggest hodlers of, of the industry, right? And, and those and, kind of, when,
0: when you say those kind of guys, these are Silicon Valley guys, basically. I mean, all those, do, yeah, that, that, that's what Jack Dorsey has in common with uh, the guy whose last name I cannot pronounce, but, but, but continue, <laughs> sorry.
1: And, and so we're now seeing this wave of Silicon Valley guys getting into Bitcoin, We've already seen, like, Elon Musk playing around with Bitcoin tweets and Deutsche Coin tweets. But eventually, if he solves the, the, Tesla, the Tesla's cash flow problem, <laughs> he will be buying Bitcoins as well with Tesla. I mean, didn't we see recently a news? Uh, a Tesla disclosing that they now have Bitcoin ATMs inside <laughs> a, Tesla, a Tesla gigafactory. So that's a huge deal. I think eventually it will continue to pick up. Pick up and under that same uh, under that same topic, a better treasury asset or an alternative treasury asset for your company. And so, look at Apple. How many billions of of dollars does Apple have in cash, man? They could literally buy banking institutions inside the U.S. It's, will it be more profitable for or better for them to buy Bitcoin than a banking institutions? I think so. Will we see eventually Blackrock the, uh, disclosing that they have exposure to Bitcoin? I think so. Will we see Goldman Sachs eventually disclosing that they eventually hold Bitcoin within the treasury reserves? I do think so. I mean, Goldman already bought Circle for like I think it was 300 or 400 million dollars almost. So all of this all of this, it's, it's impossible that we don't see all of this big, US tech savvy firms and all of this US investment firms getting into Bitcoin. I mean, we already have Jack Dorsey. We already have the guy from MicroStrategy. Look at look the Grayscale Bitcoin Investment Trust holdings continue to pick up and they will continue to pick up. I mean, yeah, that's my take. <laughs> Scarcity,
0: it's, it's, it's getting more scarce out there for all you regular Joes. Don't let the don't be complaining in 2024 about how rich these uh, Silicon Valley bros are. You 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 want to get in now. Now speaking of uh I, I just Jack Dorsey, did do, do you have any thoughts, uh Alessandro? Do you care about the uh the news that, that Twitter is clearly uh I mean I don't know how much you, you we both of these guys' Twitter accounts are linked to below. So you can follow both these guys and JW, who just couldn't show up today because he had tech issues at the last second. Uh, you can follow all three of them uh, on Twitter, but uh Alessandro, the the, the the news that goes beyond Bitcoin. Uh Jack Jack Dorsey's Twitter clearly is uh politically biased. There was some uh censorship. Uh do, do you have any thoughts on that? People are really going crazy. You know, the government should regulate Twitter, they're saying.
1: Well, I mean, uh uh I respect the dude a lot because I think he's an important voice of Bitcoin, right? Because we need those kind of guys talking positively about Bitcoin. And so he's just another one, right? You got, again, Chamath Palihapitiya, which is one of the loudest voice inside those very tiny circles, because those are tiny circles. What I think is that, why did Square not buy Bitcoin before? Why is it not buying more Bitcoin already? Because I, I, he can't. He knows it. He knows that he needs to do this bit by bit and not go all in, all aggressive about it. Because he he has he has to behave, right? He has to be a good boy. He's the CEO of a, of, a, of a he's the CEO of a billion, more than a billion dollar company. Two of them, right? And look look at look at what look at what Square's share price has been doing after the pandemic, and that's all related to Bitcoin. Look at how many revenues they now have, thanks to Bitcoin trading, Bitcoin buying, and Bitcoin selling inside Square Cash, Square Cash App. The dude built one of the best on-ramp and off-ramp services for Bitcoin inside the U.S., and he he doesn't have a re- a coinbase rhetoric behind him. So I think that's highly important. I I, I just I just guess that we will see continue we, we will continue to see. This institutional wave continue to pick up, and it will not be only Twitter. It will be Twilio, and it will be the Google guys, and it will be the Apple guys, and it will be the Salesforce Salesford people. It will be everyone. I mean, they're all next to each other. They drink coffee together. Will Will they not trade Bitcoin together and hold <coughs> Bitcoin together?
0: <laughs> well, I'll say this: You bring up an interesting point. You said he's being a good a good uh, boy or good good team player in terms of a. Uh, fitting in, I guess. Uh I and I I think uh his company's recent move, Twitter, this is a censorship thing, he definitely is uh he could be quite politically correct uh and 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 join the the trendy social justice uh mobs that are out there but it just shows you that you can have and I and so many Bitcoiners are not that way they 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 don't want to fit in fitting in is overrated pound that like button but, and are not part of social justice warrior mobs. But Bitcoin can't exclude anyone. So on one, one end, he's doing awesome things. He's really promoting Bitcoin. On the other end, his company uh, has uh, started to s- clearly do some strange, or just in your, it's not strange, in-your-face political censoring that really, uh, uh, should we say, supports the establishment. So, so Brian, what, what, what's your take on, on, on that aspect of it, on the, the, the censorship story that came out?
2: Uh, Yeah, I I think also you make a good point that, you know, enemies can can own Bitcoin together. Um, It's just like it's just like any other widespread monetary standard throughout history. You know, when an invading country uh, succeeded in invading their neighbor, they didn't say, oh, we don't want that crappy gold. You know, that's their gold. It's a disgusting form of money. No, they want that gold. So, Enemies who hate each other want to exchange in the best asset that they can exchange with so um yeah i mean there's no reason that you can't like people you can ideologically disagree with can't both own and support bitcoin and 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 help it out um but yeah from the censorship angle it's it's disappointing to to see uh you know a large forum like twitter a public forum like twitter not in a legal sense public forum but um you know a large publicly available forum start censoring people um i don't think that it calls for some sort of government intervention i think uh the The best way to to counter these things is 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 vote with your feet. And you know, to the people who say that that's not practical, or you know, they have so much sway, uh, you know, no no one tells you you have to delete your Twitter account and and move over to some new service like 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 you do, Adam. Like you can do parallel uh, social medias uh, at the same time, and you know, it doesn't cost you anything extra. Maybe an extra click, um, you know, it's it's no big deal. And 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 eventually, you know, people are gonna if it's this this time uh, with, with with Trump. Uh, it it will be something else the next time that that, uh, irritates another side of the political spectrum. Um, And you can't, you know, it's not a good business model to censor the people who produce the content for you when your entire business model is based upon aggregating content that you yourself do not create. Um, So it won't work in the long run. I don't think that the, I think that the effect of having the government step in and regulate these entities will have more, uh, probably negative knock-on effects than the visceral sort of short-term satisfaction of saying, yeah, we stuck it to Jack. He can't censor us anymore. Um, and, and and like you said, or like Alessandro had said, yeah, I don't think Jack's in there, you know, <laughs> plugging away saying, I don't want that. I don't want that. I don't want that. You know, he's the CEO of a, of a massive company. There are a lot of uh, stakeholders in that company and you know to the extent that he maybe agrees with this policy it's not his own to create it's a publicly traded company with a board of directors and a ton of stakeholders and lots of employees so um i don't think he's out there behind the curtain like the wizard of oz um uh, but yeah again I, I i do think that the the proper solution is uh to to vote with your feet and, and again parallel posts and things like that and to to the people who say it's impractical i mean the, the bitcoin itself is the is the greatest voting with your feet m- moment probably it, it, certainly in my lifetime maybe in american history possibly <laughs> larger than that because money is the is the principal way that you can sort of softly control the actions of your population and bitcoin is an opt out vote with your feet and it's gaining traction so people like us if we think we can opt out of money I mean, we, we, we better be able to opt out of uh, Twitter and a, some, you know, rinky-dink microblogging site. site. So th- th- that's my thoughts on it.
0: Uh, and by the way, a very moving, you know, vote with your feet. Definitely. I agree with that. Watch yesterday's show, people. I talked about how I'm Bitcoin Meister on Parler and that this is an opportunity for Parler to use Bitcoin as a solution to defeat Twitter. To incorporate Lightning Network over at, at, at Parler for Parler to become totally pro Bitcoin, that would differentiate them sell them in 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 a huge way from from what's yeah. going on at, on a Twitter. It, it's an opportunity. You know, people see this as you know, let's use force to change the way things are, and force being the government. I see this as an opportunity for competition to jump in. And, uh, and my advice to God, and as I said, I wanna do a series of shows where I uh, you know, focus on current events and say how Bitcoin can fix those current events. And uh, this is one that the Bitcoin can fix, uh, or it, it, it could, if it, it Parler adopted it. And uh, so watch yesterday's show people. It was a very, uh, a different show there. So you gave me a, a way to segue into that, Brian. But, uh, and Alessandro is of course in a communist country. So his internet went off. You know that's just that's the way it works down there. You never know what you're gonna what you're gonna get. Maybe he will return, and it, it's very interesting. I actually had a premonition that it would only be Brian and I talking it at, at some point. And my <laughs> premonition and my premonition has come true. This happens sometimes. It's odd. That's um, terrible. Thought. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that, but Brian, any any more thoughts on, on that topic before we move to Bitcoin as a First Amendment tool?
2: Yeah, I, I I just think I I agree with what you're saying about parlor has an opportunity here this is one of your classic compete don't complain situations if you're parlor you know you got to be thanking twitter for what they just did because they have an opportunity now to really set themselves apart from the standard bearer in the industry that they're trying to disrupt and it was given to them on a silver platter um so a parlor needs to be doing absolutely everything that they can to to you know advertise on this and 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 get people involved i think yesterday in your show you said um you know, maybe incorporate Lightning Network or some other cryptocurrency, you know, uh, version uh, to to just add a little bit of something extra to differentiate themselves. So, hey, look, we won't censor your content. And guess what? We've got a little something extra here that might entice a community of like-minded users to come in. Um, I don't necessarily, I, I, I worry that Parler will get too conservative. I get their emails, because I have an account too, um, and I will now be cross-posting, because you know, Twitter, what Twitter did was wrong, and they need to either rectify that, or I will leave. You know, no loss to them, my, my, my leaving, but if enough people think like me, that is a loss to them. Um, so I'll be cross-posting. So I get parlors' emails. I just worry that they, I, I don't want them to become the conservative Twitter. I want them to become the non-censoring Twitter. The any all are welcome type Twitter, because that's what's really needed. We don't need a conservative Twitter and a liberal Twitter, um, and then a moderate Twitter. What we need is just a simple across the board post what you want type philosophy. And I think and the, if they can and, do that, that's and,
0: great. and that's what and, and that's what the CEO announced coincidentally before this story went down. The CEO of Parler said, We're not censor, we're not censoring. That, that that's that's and great. that's all we need. That's 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 all it is. You make a great point, like it is it's not a winning strategy when when you depend on your business depends on content being created by the you know, by individuals and you're 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 getting rid of that content. I mean, mm-hmm. it, I mean, of course, it's like we've got billions of uh, posts out there. So I mean, just getting rid of a little bit of it, but but still, the the basic point holds true that you don't get rid of your your, your bread and butter. But but anyway, that let's see how it develops. People uh, compete, don't complain, as you said. Gregor Kovacs, the great Gregor Kovacs, sent 10 bucks. Thank you, dude. He says, Shabbat Shalom. And he says, some support for your channel. Best guest in the space. You better believe it. I like that. Yeah. (laughs) Now, um, I I will say that I just found out that Alessandro actually, he had a, a family emergency. He had to run. And yeah, Venezuela is socialist. They're not communists, but still, uh, when I get frustrated with Venezuela, I just call them communists. <laughs> but they—they uh, they are. They, it's status. That—that's all. You, it's collectivist. That's all you got to worry about, people. you, you don't. Um, individualism is—is is the accomplishment. Collectivism is, is the default. As you're seeing more and people, more and more people all over the world fall in line with what their leaders uh, tell them to do, just uh, be part of the uh, Borg, the machine. Okay, so let's let's talk about. Uh, one of the things you, you're interested in and, and was brought up last week, uh, we were talking about the Bitcoin First Amendment uh, constitutional aspects of it. Take it away, Brian. You, you, you have some uh, legal knowledge. Here.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm a lawyer by trade. Uh, I'm not a, I'm not a First Amendment lawyer, so I don't have extremely specialized knowledge in, in the, this arena. But I do follow along. And uh, I think what was said last week was basically, you know, are there any First Amendment protections for Bitcoin, in, you know, in the United States to the extent they start trying to regulate its use, the regulators start trying to regulate its use here? Um, and there, there isn't a hard answer, um, unfortunately, with the law. There almost never is, uh, particularly with the First Amendment, because there's a lot of, you know, considerations that a court will consider um, when weighing whether a First Amendment, you know, freedom of speech or a freedom of association right. Uh, has been illegally or unlawfully or unconstitutionally infringed, um, but to to the question, I think the person has is there one? Uh, you know, I, I think that this still needs to play out. I mean, the internet is still so very new. Bitcoin is even newer, um, so courts are you know they're very uh, slow, but they do often you know they they can get it right. When they get it wrong, they you know they can overturn themselves. Um, there's a there's a couple of good cases though. Uh, this one on Packingham versus North Carolina talked about how uh, a, a law that forbid anyone from going on any social media site in North Carolina, it was a, uh, a law targeted towards uh, sex offenders. They said any sex offender who has been convicted uh, cannot access a social media site where they know that uh, children will have profiles, people under 18. So that was like Facebook, Twitter, you know, a lot. Cause I think they have a 13 or an up requirement for most of those sites. Um, And this went all the way up to Supreme Court because uh, the the, uh, plaintiff was a a registered sex offender who posted about on Facebook how he got out of a speeding ticket or something like that. Uh, I guess the local police department found it and um, prosecuted him under this uh, sex offender rule about accessing social media sites. So it goes all the way up to Supreme Court and Supreme Court strikes it down, saying basically that the Internet is where you engage in speech. Um, it's, it's, you engage in speech that is diverse as human thought itself. And so that they cannot, that a a state government or a city government cannot give you what's called a prior restraint on accessing that forum. So, you know, this person was not allowed to access the forum whatsoever. And that's an extreme prohibition on that person's free speech rights under the constitution. And the the Supreme court struck it down saying that this is a prior restraint. You know, if if you're upset with the content of the speech, yada, yada, you know we can talk about that, but just saying that you cannot access the internet network uh, or a social media network is unlawful and it, it, is, it is a very good analogy to Bitcoin because Bitcoin is at bottom just a network and you use Bitcoin to access that network. That's what a, a Bitcoin transaction is that's what every transaction fee is is a fee that can only be paid in satoshi's or uh, or Bitcoin um, in order to use and utilize the network and Bitcoin isn't just monetary transmission or value transmission, but, you know, from the Genesis block onward, there have been text and speech and political speech. I mean, uh, Chancellor and Second Bailout of Banks is probably the most political speech that you can do at that time period. And it was in the Genesis block, the very first transaction. So, you know, I think regulators sort of narrowly construe Bitcoin as, oh, yeah, well, this is maybe a way that they can launder money or something like that. And In actuality, it is a lot has a lot broader uh, application, um, and they're going to find I think over over time because what will happen is they they will overregulate probably they will try and do something that hinders the network or hinders your access to it. But the courts, uh, you know, they'll they'll work their way through it, and probably and I think that they they may find that there are First Amendment protections to the acts to access and use of the Bitcoin network. All right, this is I. <laughs>
0: I'm great. I'm 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 very grateful to have a, a legal scholar here to 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 discuss uh, the, these matters. It's it's uh, we, we've got a diverse group here, best freaking guests in the space, as I say. Now I I, I want to move on to another uh, governmental legal uh, type of I- issue, and this was from last week. But William Barr announced his publication of the cryptocurrency enforcement framework. What was your take on that?
2: Yeah, so I, I uh, you know it was an eighty-page document. I got through most of it. Um, I think that basically it is the it's the the foundational layer to pitch to the public of why they should be able to regulate um, and criminalize maybe potentially use of certain cryptocurrencies. Um, what I what I really like when I see that though I, when I read through it, they basically said, hey, "Hey, here's what we've done. We we stopped this terrorism ring. They were asking for Bitcoin. We stopped this child sex trafficking ring." Uh, They were using Bitcoin or some other cryptocurrency, Ethereum, I think, maybe. Um, And they said, look, look, look what we did. This is why cryptocurrencies are dangerous. But and I think I even mentioned this in a comment on a prior show, Adam, these are independent legal violations that they're busting. It's not the use of the currency that is illegal. It's the independent legal violation, perhaps facilitated by a currency, but, you know, in the same way that cash facilitates uh, independent legal violations sure any any transfer value can facilitate a, a legal violation so i don't see you know i looked at their 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 you know report and i don't see anything that suggests that um, they should have any extra authority over cryptocurrency than they do um you know than they could saying uh you know the dollar uh, is now illegal or the use of uh, gold is now illegal now Obviously, gold has been <laughs> made criminally uh, you know executive order in nineteen thirty three said you can only hold so much amount of gold, give everything to the bank. Um, sure, they can go ahead and try that. but um, you know it's not it's not a practical solution for them because there's no way that they could they could possibly confiscate that. So they're going to run into some sort of novel problems with trying to regulate cryptocurrency in the traditional way. But I think if they just stay in their lane and stick with what they know, you know you can prosecute all these independent legal violations all you want, as far as I'm concerned, but the the use of cryptocurrency, um, uh, shouldn't, shouldn't be an independent violation itself. And again, back to the First Amendment issue, they may not even have the authority to do that here in the United States.
0: All right. I, I like it. I like this. Uh, you, you explain it very well. Now, there is a question out there from the audience that uh, I guess was meant for Alessandro, but maybe we can answer it. Uh, I've got a good guess answer at least. How long have Cuba and Venezuela been working together? Well, I would say it has to be since Chavez uh, took over, which mm-hmm. I guess is in in 1999, <laughs> yeah, whenever that was. I, I think that 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 it was it was immediate. Once you become uh, once you become socialist, you uh, in Latin America at least you pair up with Cuba uh, immediately. I, I, I don't quote me on that one, but I I'm pretty sure that's how long it's been it's been going on. So look, uh, since, since Chavez took over, which I believe was in 1999. Brian, you have anything to say about that?
2: Yeah. I, I mean, the only thing I would say is maybe it was a little sooner because that's what might've what helped him take over in the nineties. The uh, but uh, yeah, I think, I think once, once you remember that, uh, that club, they, uh, they sort of, uh, they support you.
0: Yeah. Quite, quite a uh, club of winners there now. Yes.
2: Uh, uh, all right. Uh, and
0: Alessandro, it's it's unfortunate he had to go, but uh, he, he he'll answer that on another show. Give us the, the correct answer. I also want to point out yesterday, Someone asked me about the uh, shirt I was wearing, where they can get it. it. I linked to it below that show, and I also linked to it below this show, the specific shirt you can get at Cryptoverge.com, the, the profit shirt it's called. So I guess we're at the end of the show here. Uh, Brian, do you have any uh, conclusionary thoughts, anything that was uh, left off that you want to talk about here?
2: Uh, I I don't think so. I just want to, I, I you know, I, I do want to reemphasize. Keep
0: on keep on saying what you were saying there, Brian. I uh,
2: yeah. I was just uh, wanted to reemphasize the importance that I, I I still don't think everybody, uh, under like grasped it or cares about it. Um, the, the importance of the Bitcoin exclusive treasury buys by these companies. Um, I think that that shows why you know we we. I hear from uh, alternate ends of the crypto spectrum that Bitcoin doesn't innovate. Bitcoin is is, is boring. Bitcoin is this. Um, it's it's just you know they just hold it. It's like a, you know they're not doing anything with it. The the methodical way that Bitcoin advances is incredibly important to someone who's about to put a half a billion dollars into your your uh, network, and that's what uh, MicroStrategy did, and uh, you know Squares uh, working their way, and any other any other you know uh, fiduciary. Um, they don't want, you know, ridiculous uh, features to, to muck up the network, uh, this, tra- this value transfer network that is Bitcoin. They want methodical, um, you know, very thought out uh, progress. And that's why you see these companies are going exclusively into Bitcoin, because Bitcoin is difficult to change. And that's a that's a feature of the of the Bitcoin network. It's not a problem with it. It's not a, something that needs to be critiqued or, uh, or not something that needs to be changed. Um so it's very important and I think it was very validating for me to watch these sort of large companies that are publicly traded go into Bitcoin only because it shows that it's very it's a very mature network and there's a very core set of developers that are that are methodical and I think that's what's going to set it apart uh it's not chasing the, you know the laser pointer around the room trying to find the next shiny object it's it is has the humble the humble goal of you know transfer, uh, transforming the the global standard reserve currency so let's just stick with that and uh, you know, huddle your Bitcoin and, and, and be methodical about the network.
0: You know, people and and I often talk about how Bitcoin not changing. It sounds so boring, but this is what the big boys want. Okay, they don't want something that's going to willy-nilly. Uh, all of a sudden, there'll be twenty-eight million of them. Okay, it is the security truth machine. It is not changing. And in in a, in a in a day and age where there's so much. Uh, Instability, things are changing. You don't know what truth is. Uh, this, th- it's more valuable than ever. It's more treasured than ever. So people love all these bells and whistles that all these altcoins are adding. And they say Bitcoin is old. Bitcoin is boring. No, you, you've, you've got, you've got it completely wrong. It, that is, that is such a feature. It is so glorious. It is totally counterculture. Personal responsibility is new counterculture. Just being stable is the freaking counterculture of money. Okay. Absolutely. (laughs) There there you go. All right. Let me just uh, see if uh, there are any other questions over here, dudes. This is your last chance. All right. It was a great show, man. We had incredible conviction. We went from three to two to one guest, and we ripped it apart, dudes. So please share this show on Twitter, dudes. Pound that like button. Uh, You get a new This Week in Bitcoin every freaking. Every freaking Friday, dude. So uh, I'm Adam Meister, the Bitcoin Meister, the Disrupt Meister. Everybody have a great weekend. Shabbat Shalom. And uh, I will see you soon. Ending the stream now. See ya.